Doctrine and Devotion is sponsored by Lagos Bible Software. Listeners to Doctrine and Devotion can get 10% to 25% off of Lagos 8. For more information, visit lagos.com slash doctrine. Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast exploring Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And I'm Jimmy Fowler, executive pastor at Redeemer Fellowship. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, 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 hey. What's going on, boo-boo? Nothing. What's going on with you? You know, chilling. Uh, You know, got a lot to do today. My sermon's mostly done, but not totally When you say mostly done, done, do you mean like any done? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, you got all the study done. Yeah, Yeah, the study is done. You got your notes done. Mm -hmm. You don't have it on one. It's not on one sheet, no. And the sermon summary is, so about an hour, hour's worth of work, I'll be done. All right, nice. That's pretty good. So, um, listen, are you, are you doing, are you doing the Christmas thing? Are you like singing the songs? You play, you got to, like, W-L-I-T, you listen to the, why not? I don't, I just don't do it. Well, why not? Yeah, I just, not yet. I'll wait a couple more weeks and then I will. (sighs) Okay, whatever. I'm not against others that do. You, I just don't okay, have yeah, the desire to do it now. <laughs> okay. You're doing I'm not it wrong. judging you. Do it. I'm judging you're doing it wrong. Why are you judging me? Because you're, you only get so much time to enjoy the Christmas season and you're not enjoying it right now. I'm going to enjoy it come December 1st. You're not enjoying it now. doesn't matter. It's exactly. Right. I don't People have know. to join it. Why are you looking mm-hmm. down upon me for not enjoying it now? Uh, because you're doing it wrong. That's just that's just my thing. I just think you should, you know, after Thanksgiving, you should be. I like how your thing is an expectation for everybody else. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's <laughs> exactly right. Hey, listen, um, we're starting a new thing today. What are we doing? Holy Conference. Oh, oh I thought it was going to be, you know, judging Jimmy for not doing Christmas right That's now. That's every day. But today, we're going to do a special thing. We're going to start doing this. We're going to do Holy Conference, uh, which is a conversation that we're going to have with different people, our friends, basically. Mm-hmm. People that we know, people that we love, people that we respect. And today, one of our favorite people. We're doing Holy Conference with who? Oh, Paul, the man, Maxwell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Paul, what's up, man? Just chilling, man. Thanks for having me on. Now, listen, what everybody wants to know right now is, are you wearing your shirt? I was going to ask the same <laughs> question. <laughs> you know what? I was, but now I'm going to take it off. No, I'm going to, no, I'm not, not really. I'll, I'll save that for in person when we do. Our yes, yes, because you are going to have to record without your shirt on. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <clears throat> um, so for those of you that don't know Paul, I mean, if you're a listener of uh, Doctrine and Devotion, you know Paul Maxwell, you know all about SelfWire. But um, you know, Paul has launched what I'm going to go ahead and call the SelfWire Phenomenon. Mm. Right? Uh, are you going to call that? Because that's what he calls it. Yeah, but he calls his podcast that, but I think it's bigger than the podcast. I think he's started a movement. I'm going to call it the SelfWire Movement. Okay, you can do that because that's okay. original. Yes. Yeah. Self-wire phenomenon is not Yeah, I realized that after I said it. I, I, kinda, I know I stepped on this podcast <laughs> title. <laughs> oh, he started what I'm going to call okay, don't the steal self-wire my, yeah, phenomenon. He stole my thunder. That's what it was. Now, listen, Paul, why don't you go ahead and explain to people what self-wire is, um, why it's called self-wire, and the formats that you uh, put your material out in. Mm. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, uh, basically, it's a Christian intellectual engagement with modern cultural issues. That's everything from theology to 
politics to biblical studies to sort of personal issues, mental health issues, everything that I think that the evangelical culture sort of incentivizes us not to think too deeply about. I try to think mm. very deeply about those things, or at least as well as I can. And uh, it's called Selfwire because uh, I, I went through a long season of my life when I was so focused on theology and kind of bought or dr drank the Kool-Aid of evangelical big God culture so much that I really went through several years of self-neglect and I didn't mm. really think much about self-improvement at all. And that all the consequences of that lifestyle that that produced really caught up with me. And so self-wire is just kind of based, I mean, it's not that profound, but it's just kind of a way of thinking, okay, how can we kind of think about, uh, uh, how can we think about optimizing ourselves and optimizing our lives? Obviously not in a self-obsessed way or in a narcissistic way, but how can we have a self-focus about the way we think and the way we live in a way that optimizes our life, optimizes our mental health, optimizes our relationship with God. And that's what I basically am trying to do. And I release these podcasts in, uh, I, I release them as videos on YouTube. I release the audio from that in a podcast feed that you can uh, subscribe to on iTunes. And I'm trying to think, oh yeah, and also the article on the website, which is selfwire.org. So all mm. of those things there. You know, Paul, is this like a, I'm going to ask you kind of a directed question. So yeah. I hope it's, uh, it's fine. Uh, I'm not too pointed. Leading this, the witness. No, <laughs> leading the witness. <laughs> no, but is this like in kind of response? Like I, I've listened to your episodes and I, and the one that really sticks out to me is episode one, uh, where you're talking about, um, uh, Piper and desiring God and things like that. Uh, is this kind of like born out of that? I, Cause you're kind of working out your frustrations and your disagreements um, with Piper. Is, is that kind of where this is all starting from? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, no, that's a, a really good question. Yeah. Th there were a few years where I was really writing quite a lot for the gospel coalition and desiring God. And, and, and I had a really close relationship with those guys at at desiring God. And, and since then I, I've just sort of found that there was, um, and I won't speak about them or on their behalf in, in any way. Those, those are yeah. great guys. All, all those guys out there at, at desiring God, really good guys. Um, but we just had an increasing, uh, uh, uh the more, <laughs> The more I evolved in my conception of how I wanted to live my life in light of some of the theological struggles I was going through, and we might get into that a little bit here, uh, we had, there was an increasing strain. Uh, and every article I submitted, I, I, I sensed a little bit more hesitation on their part, like, where's Paul going with this? And mm -hmm. and and I, I felt so, and, and we tried to work together, but it, it came to the point where I felt so curtailed and so tampered in my own theology and my own writing that I felt like I wasn't allowed to think that way anymore. And they were actually approaching me about teaching at Bethlehem, becoming a professor, a systematic theology professor there. And I just thought, is this the life I want? You know, and, and it just got to the point where I was in an interview and, you know, you asked a very frank question, Jimmy. So I'm just sort of giving a frank answer. I, I was in an interview. Um, you know, I was in an interview for uh, for this systematic theology professor position at Bethlehem at uh, an uh, evangelical theological society conference. And I remember sitting there with all the faculty and with John Piper and everybody was there. And they asked me straight up. They just said, you know, uh, do you struggle at all with looking at, at pornography? And the answer was at the time was was yes. Mm -hmm. And my and I said no. <laughs> and I really yeah. and, and I left that meeting and I thought, 
I don't want this to be my life. <laughs> I, don't, mm. I, I don't want to have to say no in order to protect my paycheck, in order to protect the life that. And so really, I just wanted to live an honest life. I wanted to live an honest Christian life. And I realized that the path I was going down was going, was, wasn't going to allow me to do that. Or at least, maybe at the very least, it just sort of indicated that at that time, I wasn't qualified to do that kind of ministry morally. I, I, I don't know. But, the, but all I knew was that I didn't want to go down that road and that and then I saw these other movements that they weren't glorifying sin, but they were elastic enough culturally to handle guys messing up and to still propel them toward an, an, an ideal. And I thought that looks so much better. And, and, and I think that you guys do this so well culturally and, and what I know of you and in the way that I've related to you is that you hold yourself to a very high standard and you help men around you to hold themselves to very high standards. And yet at the same time, you are uh, relationally elastic enough and uh, emotionally patient enough to handle when guys mess up. And I think evangelical culture needs to learn how to draw outside the lines of what it has become accustomed to a little bit so that it can handle the normal functions and the normal diversity of male psychology. Right now, I think it is so Johnny One Note. I think it is mm. so homogenized as a culture that there is a certain person who succeeds very well, who functions very well within evangelicalism. And that kind of person simply isn't me. And I and and I struggled with that because I thought, does that mean I don't belong? And for a long time, I thought it did. And I, I and I developed this kind of arrogant, sinful pride about it and became very rebellious about it. And it was due to a couple guys, sort of stalwart evangelical figures like you guys and a, a couple other people within evangelicalism who I sort of I really had grown resentful toward. And they, they reached out to me. And they invested in me even more, even more when I was mm. when I was uh, really wrestling through this stuff. And I realized, OK, there's hope for me in this context, uh, but it's not in alignment with uh, 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 so, sort of the center, some of the so, the personalities which really are, are, are the gravitational center of this movement. And I and so now Selfwire is just kind of my attempt to publicly work out some of those ideas and for a while i thought maybe i'm not a christian maybe i should leave christianity mm -hmm. and i came to the point where i realized well that's not true that's not where i am i am a christian and i need I, i'm at the point now where well i just have to own this for myself and i'm a phd in systematic theology so i have the resources to put a lot of this stuff together as an orthodox christian but what does that look like culturally and i think that's something you guys are leading the way in so well yes why i'm not a christian hedonist because obviously it's, it's wonderful to delight in god but it's not the only lens that we use to understand the christian life it's one tool you know and i think that's a lot of a lot of evangelical uh, a lot of evangelical culture is really just kind of picking up the scraps from the stock and trade of secular wisdom and putting a Christian label on it and saying, huh? Huh? And it's like, we can do better than that. We can do much better than that. And Christians actually have the internal resources and, and it really do have the cultural resources and the legacy of the past millennia of, 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 of Christian orthodoxy to build a much better and much more elastic and much more meaningful culture. Uh, than the one that we currently have. And, and I realized, I, no, I don't want to leave. 
I want to be a part of building something better. And, and mm. the fact that you guys do what you do, it's one of the few things that I look to and say, okay, that gives me hope because they're doing something that's theologically meaningful. It's biblically informed. It's a, it's ecclesiastically rooted in the local church. And yet at the same time, they are not so stringent and Johnny one note that only one personality type excels here. And so that's, that's inspiring to me. So I, I rambled a little bit there, but I appreciate no, that, you indulging it. No, I love hearing all about us continue. <laughs> yeah. We, actually, we just took our shirts off because we were feeling so built up and, I and strong. It. I, I see now, it all the time. So, uh, you know, we, we do doctrine and devotion the way that we do it because this is what we would listen to. Like, mm-hmm, this is right. what we would like. This is the kind of thing that we benefit from, you know, interpersonally in real life. And one of the things that you said recently that I really liked was, you know, people were asking you, why, why bro, why are you so hard? Like, why are you coming out swinging? Mm. You know, whether you're talking about feminism or, uh, or white fragility, you know, you, you don't come out nuanced mm. in, in how you talk about the error or even maybe just the perceived error. Um, you're very direct. You're confrontational. I don't think you're mean. I don't think you're uh, overly harsh. I don't think you're being uh, even uh, inappropriately negative. But you definitely you'll come out very direct and you go, this is wrong. This is why it's wrong. And, of course, you support your argument uh, very, very well. Mm-hmm. And I remember you said, listen, I'm not trying to have a conversation with leftists. I'm not trying to have a conversation with people that disagree with me. I'm talking to myself when I was 20 years old, yep. something like that. Yep. Can, can you explain like what that, what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. Man, I get, I get in trouble all the time because of my personality. I don't, I, don't, I would actually <laughs> like to hear if this is true for, for you guys. Cause I imagine it, it has to be, it has to be true for you guys at some level where I remember, uh, especially during my PhD. I mean, this it's, it's always been true for me because I've always been very aggressive and I've always had a lot of energy, chalk it up to daddy issues, chalk it, I, you could chalk it up to probably a bunch of stuff. Right. But, but I've, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I've always had a lot of energy and I've always been very on the edge, very aggressive, just had an intensity about me. And it's very off-putting to a lot of people. And hey, that's a personal thing. I should probably work on that, right? That's something it's like, hey, you're coming off a little intense. Maybe learn how to just you know, calm down a little bit for a little while. It's like, yeah, that, that's probably good tactical advice for me, right? Just in life. But there was a point where I was actually getting rebuked by it. And there's a, even a point where my doctoral advisor called me on the phone and was saying, you know, a few people have told me that, that, that you're really just off-putting in your personality. And he actually, <laughs> he called it a sin. And he, he was like, you know, you really need to repent from this. And I thought, okay, this is, this mm. is, um, it's, it's a signal flare for me. And it was one of those moments where I thought it was one of those darker moments where I thought, well, you know, I really don't belong here. And then the more I started talking about it, which the more I really started recently, only in the past six months to a year or so really started owning this to say, you know what, the reason that there's not a place for somebody like this within evangelicalism is because all of the people who go to the top of these evangelical institutions and often, not all the people, but many, many of the people who are just kind of find their way into positions of authority get there because they are agreeable. They get there because they are yes men so that evangelical culture can at times, in fact, incentivize you not to be aggressive and not to rock the boat too much. And, and if you're all about just rocking the boat and rattling the cage for the sake of rattling the cage, 
I mean, I, that that that's just sort of absurd, I think. But 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 when you have a culture that actually incentivizes passivity, you create really a beta culture. You really kind of create this very effeminate, uh, neutering, emasculating culture where all your job is to say yes more and more and more and more. And so uh, I, re I so I thought to myself, wow, maybe I really don't belong here. And then when I started talking about it, all these guys started coming out. And they started mm. saying, well, you know, not coming out, but they, they started talking to me and they started saying, hey, like, you know, I really resonate with this. I really mm. resonate with this. And a lot of guys who felt that they didn't belong and who actually felt they felt sinful for kind of going to secular sources for a lot of wisdom. They mm -hmm. felt like maybe their personality was too intense. They thought, you know what, maybe there is a place for me here. And I realized, mm. you know what? We can make a place within evangelicalism for a broader conception of what personalities are allowed within evangelicalism. Yeah. And I realized, oh, yeah, I, I, like they're, they're, like who I was at 20, between the ages of 20 and 25, when I felt super alone, super isolated, I felt like all, every I felt I felt like everything about me was just offensive to everybody in this culture because I was just high energy into lifting weights, into sports, all this stuff. Right. I, I, I just felt like, oh, man. I, I just really don't belong here. I really don't belong here. And I realized, you know what? No, I do belong here. And there are a lot of guys like me who feel the exact same way. So I'm talking to me in that 20 to 25 age range. And I'm realizing there are a lot of guys who are in that 20 to 25 age range that are actually attracted to this kind of talk. And they are not mm. getting, there's nobody there right now to lead them because, and this goes into a deeper conversation, but you know, they're, they're, uh, evangelicalism has a has a mixed relationship with people who are high power, uh, sort of more alpha oriented personalities, because a lot of times those guys, uh, uh, they're not able to uh, uh, ascend to positions of authority in in common context. But when they do, it's really big and it's really powerful and it blows up very quickly. And so usually there's not many very strong male personalities that remain and endure in positions of authority. And so that kind of perpetuates this myth that, well, these personalities really just aren't very welcome here at all. And I don't think that has to be the case. I don't think the Bible entails that. I don't think that the history of Christian orthodoxy entails that for us. In fact, I think that most of the meaningful contributors to Christian orthodoxy were very troublesome people in terms of their temperament and their personality. That certainly was the case with Augustine and Peter Abelard. And the more you read about church history, you realize this, this is a bunch of misfits here. And they were just following their conscience and they were doing what was right, you know, uh, uh, according to their own conscience before the eyes of God. And that, those are some of the most profound theological movements that you have in history are people who for sure personality-wise would not fit within common evangelical culture today. Mm. So I think we need to normalize that again, not normalizing sin, yeah. but diversifying our conception of, okay, who really belongs here? Who belongs here in terms of personality? Well, I actually have a few questions I, I want to uh, pick your brain about, but there's really one issue that we, we wanted to kind of dial in on here mm. uh, in our conversation. Yeah. I think one of the things was about the, the dark night of the soul that you're talking about, right? Mm. Uh, the idea of feeling alone, isolated, not welcomed, uh, mm. and out of place. Um, or even like you feel distant from God where, mm. I mean, a, a lot of Christians go through this where yeah. it, you, you sense that God is distant. He's not listening, that, uh, the experience of his grace has waned. Mm -hmm. That's what we'd like. As we know, you went through that period of time. I went through that period of time as well. Um, but we wanted to hear from you. And you don't have to get into details, but we just want to we want to hear you talk about how it is that people wind up in that position um, and what is the path forward? Like, how do people make it through that dark night? 
Yeah. Wow. That's a, it's a really good question. Um, I won't get, I won't get too bogged down in the details of my own story. It's, it's suffice it to say there was a time when, um, uh, I was, let's see, I, I, I was, I was moving from Philadelphia to Chicago for my PhD. I was leaving a lot of friends behind in relational strife. My dad had just died. I just broken up with a, a serious girlfriend that we'd been together for a long time. And I remember sitting in an Easter service in this church that I had just been, I'd, it's the church I'd been at for my entire time I was at during my MDiv and thinking, oh, I really want to believe. I just felt like I was really white knuckling it. I was praying. I was reading my Bible. I was going to counseling. I was thinking, God, please, please just carry me through. Help me. And I remember that there was this, this moment in the Easter service where they started singing like, up from the grave, you know, whatever that song is. Mm -hmm. It was like this Christian Victor song. And there's nothing wrong with that song. There's nothing wrong with Christian uh, having a victorious The melody. Yeah, the melody's yeah, pretty yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but, but it, was, it was this moment. And I felt at that moment, like my faith just broke. Like I just felt like, like it, like a, like a bone breaking, you know, I felt like I just don't trust you anymore. <laughs> like, I just remember looking at God thinking you're never going to come through. And it's like, well, what were you trusting God for? Were you trusting God for material prosperity? And, but that, but that was the crisis that I was going through was, well, well, if you're never going to come through, what good are you? You know, it's like, great salvation. See you when I'm dead. You know, otherwise it's like, if you're going to let me go through all this stuff. And those were kind of some of the thoughts that I had and I realized I just felt forsaken and, 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 and it's like, and I felt, I felt very much like that feeling was an unbiblical idea. Of course, it's not unbiblical because if you read the book of Lamentations, it's like we mm -hmm. have this one verse that we, that we use in Lamentations about God's mercies being new in Lamentations three, but people don't realize the book of Lamentations doesn't end in chapter three. It ends in chapter five with them saying, will you forsake us forever? And, mm -hmm. and I realized like, oh yeah, it's very biblical to feel forsaken by God. Of course, you mentioned this, Joe, you know, uh, David feels this very, way very often. I think it's a common yeah. experience that people have. And, and, and most, most, most young people often are afforded the luxury of not having yet had that experience, but most older saints have had that experience at some time in their life because they've yeah. lost so much and they've been through so much and they have a very sober faith because they've really been tested. And that was, that's what that was for me. And that induced a season of intense drinking that wasn't good. It wasn't good. It, it, it put me in a spiral that was bad. And I had to, I had to overcome that. And honestly, the way that, uh, the, I, I would say the primary way, the, the primary means of grace that God used to keep me in the faith was, um, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on the podcast, but it was honestly, you guys, um, believing in me, <laughs> like, like still reaching out and say, Hey, I remember Joe, you texted me once and, um, I was, I was processing something with you. I was going through a hard time and I was kind of trying to explain why I wasn't coming to, to, to church regularly. Like I, like I wanted to. And you were like, you know what, man, we've, we've claimed you as a brother. And that meant so much to me. It's like, Oh, I, I've been claimed. Like, I felt like I wasn't gone. You know, I felt like I was floating off into outer space with just completely detached from life and Christianity mm -hmm. and myself. And it was moments like that. And Justin Taylor did a similar thing where he reached out and he said, man, let's, let's just talk. Like wh what's going on with you? And, and, and then he bought me breakfast and it was, you know, there's a couple moments like that where people looked at me and said, listen, I know you're having a really hard time and I want you to know, I love you. I consider you belonging and I want to be with you as you work through this stuff. That was what's it. The, that was it. What's the, what's the wrong kind of advice mm. that yeah. we're likely to give as Christians to people who are struggling with their faith or mm. struggling with the faith? 
right? Because those are two different things. Right. But what's the wrong? What's what's the bad counsel that we need to avoid giving to people that are going through that? Right. Well, it's it, it's tough because counseling, especially, it's it's so person to person. But one thing is that, um, okay, theological misconception could very well be a source of a negative experience of God, right? It, it absolutely could, but uh, I, their the, theology is mysterious. And so, for example, mm. one of the things that really pushed me away from Reformed theology for a while was the complexity of its answer to the problem of evil. I felt for a long time like right. it had a very satisfying answer to the problem of evil, and then I realized... I don't think I'm satisfied with this answer. I don't th- in fact I became very horrified by it. And people tried to explain it to me like, well, don't you realize the distinction between God's decretal will and his permissive will? And I'm like, well, yeah, that solves everything. I've never heard of that before, <laughs> you know. And it's like for somebody maybe it would. I don't know. And so I don't want to speak for everybody and say, well, that distinction doesn't do anything, but it because it's like obviously it's a very important theological distinction. It may be the very thing that actually helps this theodicy to succeed. But mm. for me, it didn't it didn't actually resolve the the tension that I felt betrayed by God. And it didn't resolve that tension for me because in my mind I still had a direct line back to God. And that's something that even Piper's seven points of Calvinism certainly entails that, that even if you make a distinction between decree and permission, well, there's still, it's still going back to God. You still tie the, the, you still tie the suffering back to God and you're not always able to catalyze it or classify it as a positive experience. And so I would say if somebody's going through a rough time or really struggling with their faith, um, there are two ways you can go wrong in theological guidance for that person. One of them is to suggest that, well, they just don't understand the question or that their their suffering is based in a misunderstanding of the theology. They may properly understand the theology, but they may be wrestling with a mystery. And they mm-hmm. just and and there it may be an irresolvable theological mystery. It's the problem of evil is not an easy problem to solve. That doesn't mean there's not a solution, but maybe they do understand it, and they're just disturbed by this issue. It's not and and, and so that's one way of doing it. And another way of uh, or, or another thing is to say, well, it, let's say that they're. I can only use myself as, as an example, but let's say that they are disturbed by God's relationship to their suffering and they feel betrayed by God. And it, it, it's uh, another, like the psalmists sometimes. Right, exactly. Well, another thing that people might say is, well, don't think about the sovereignty of God right now. Maybe think about the love of God. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> it's so, so in both of those directions, I would just say I, I understand the impulse because what you want to do is you want to manage the pain and you want to say, well, Let's keep God out of it, that kind of thing. But scripture is full of lamentation and it's it, it, it's full of people sort of calling God to the carpet and saying, where are you? And yeah. and as far as I'm concerned, reading the book of Job, people often read uh, read the book of Job in a way that actually betrays the, the whole message of the book of Job, because people people read. Uh, people read the book of Job with his three friends giving him counsel saying, you must have done something wrong. You must have done something wrong. What is it? What is it? And then God comes on the scene and everybody interprets that as because Job, Job of course, says at the, at the, uh, at the end that he repents in dust and ashes. But, but, but even, even then, it's, it's, a, it's really a recognition of his humility because the book itself says, in all this, Job didn't sin. 
Mm. And so, so what, and, and yet the whole time he's calling God to the carpet, he's cursing creation. He says, God, why, why would you even create? He's using this cosmic language. He says, may the mm-hmm. stars come down. He's, you know, he's saying he's cursing the day of his birth. Like God shouldn't have created yeah. me. If this is what was going to happen. God shouldn't have created me. And, but God shows up and he honors Job's call and he says, you know what? I am God and you are nothing. And, and you know, that, that, that's a, re- that's a fact, but I'm here. I'm really yeah. here and I'm really here to face you person to person. And we talked about this a little bit on the last doc and Diva, but this notion of wrestling with God mm, yeah. is very, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. And, and, and especially one of the reasons I've had to come out of the whole Christian hedonist conception of things is because I couldn't conform myself to that emotional law. I felt it was truly an emotional law to say that you always have to be rejoicing in God. Listen, I'm not anti rejoicing in God, but to be quite honest, I've, I've regained my faith. I've regained my practice, my Christian practices. I'm now, you know, what my wife and I are attending an else, uh, Lutheran church, Missouri Synod here in Indianapolis. We love, we love the faith and the life and the Christian family that we're building here, but I haven't had a positive experience emotionally of God since, since that Easter day. I still mm. haven't. And you know mm. what? That's okay. Like it's it's not ideal. I would still like to have something like that. But you know what? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna obsess over it, because because I'm going to assume that there's more to the Christian life than delight in God. And I'm going to pursue those things. I'm going to pursue those meaningful things. And I'm motivated by those things. And maybe one day that will happen again. Maybe one day it, it's you know Scripture speaks of the spiritual life as a seasonal thing in terms of harvesting and sowing and planting. And maybe this is just a sowing season, and there will right. be a, an emotional harvest down the road. Either way. That's that's kind of what I'm holding on to right now. People in the dark night of the soul, right? That this, this this people who are in depression and feel distant from God. It's very very difficult. I'm I'm releasing an episode on Selfwire on is there hope for the depressed? What do you do to overcome a dark night of the soul? I'm, I'm I'll dip a little bit into that that content. I know we're kind of running out of time here because I've been rambling so much, but but the, he, this is the this is an important distinction between dispositional depression and situational depression. Okay. Mm -hmm. Dispositional depression is something that it's part of you. It's part of your attitude. It's part of your mindset. It's part of the way you look at the world. Situational is something that it's your circumstance, right? Then you distinguish between pathological aspects of depression and active aspects of depression. Pathological is the part over which you don't have any control, right? Maybe it's your serotonin. Maybe somebody died, right? Whatever it's dispositional or, or situational, right? And then the active is the aspect of your depression over which you do have operational control. And many times we don't want to admit that exists, but it does exist. And what we can do is we can we can use our wills to reconfigure our situations and to reconfigure our dispositions in order to achieve victory over depression. And it's a very long process and it can be a very difficult process. And very often there are still many bad days. But what really characterizes a dark night of the soul is that every day is like hell. Whereas yeah. when people who are recovering from depression, it's like, you know, there are some bad days. But there are some good days and people mm. who are really going through a really bad spot, you know, bout of depression, they'll say there's there are no good days. There are no good days. Right. And 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 if you can get to the place where, well, you know what, I have a few good days or I have a few bad days, that is ideal. And if you use strategies, I, I, I think that the, the two main strategies for achieving victory over depression are social reintegration and financial stabilization. 
Those are the hmm. two major sources of depression are financial instability and social isolation. If you can rectify those two things in your life, the chances that you will recover from your depression eventually, or that th those are the steps you need to take to one day reap the benefit of having recovered from your depression, uh, the chances of that happening are very high, very high. And for me, it was social isolation. It was a big part of it. I was also go I was also job to job, paycheck to paycheck, which wasn't good either. But right. it was having people like you and having people like Justin Taylor and John Bloom and other people, people I resented, people I, the people who I thought you think you're so better than me, you're not. And I was angry at them. Having people I was angry at reach out to me. That was the most tactile, meaningful, effective, restorative experience of grace I could have possibly experienced in that moment. Oh, and that's awesome. That, that's well, listen, the, I know. Yeah, I know. Sorry. I, I know that, um, you know, like a, a lot of what this is, at least what part of what this is, the negative aspect of, of counsel, the, the, the incorrect approach is when people dismiss the struggle outright or they say you shouldn't be having this struggle. Mm. You, 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 they, they discount the experience. And wait, hang on, Jimmy, speaking of discount, um, I was just thinking about <laughs> Lagos Bible Software. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They're sponsoring this, this episode, right? They are. Man. Is there a discount? There is, but a discount. the good kind of discount. The good kind of discount. Yeah, if you head on over to logos.com/doctrine, uh, you can use the code DOCKINDEVO8, and you could save ten percent if you're buying it new, twenty five percent if you are updating. Our good friend. I'm act I was actually thinking for the last one, I was going to say his name right, but I don't know how to say it. Shrek. Just call him Shrek. 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 I feel bad because we would Derek, say Derek, 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 Shrek, Shrek. Okay. So <laughs> big thanks to Lagos for sponsoring for the month of November. Uh, they're giving our listeners a great discount. Uh, for a lot of people, Bible study is a struggle. They don't know where to start. They don't have the commentaries or the resources uh, to do an in-depth study. Uh, but with Lagos 8, it's faster, it's cleaner, um, and you've got the resources there uh, for your devotions or your sermon prep or to even get ready for uh, Bible study uh, during the week. So head on over to Doctrine.com. Nope. No, sorry. Lagos.com slash Doctrine. Use the code DOCADEVO8 and save some money. All right, Paul. Listen, um, we, we want to do these conversations with our friends that are that are brief and short and um, just kind of tease people into thinking about these things. Um, you know, your experience and your thoughts are always very, very helpful. Um, oh, I love them. But uh, we want to do some real quick rapid fire things and then we're going to we're going to we're going to bust out of here. OK, cool. Sorry, I've been rambling so much. You guys no, no, it's all good. Stuff. Good. That's why we want you on here. <laughs> all right. So. Uh, rapid fire. This means just like one sentence answers. Ready? Okay. You ready? You want me yep. to start? You, I got, you, you, I'm uh, do it. you go ready? ahead. Here we go. All right, Paul. Ready? Yes. Self-help books. Good or bad? Good. What music are you listening to? Uh, August Burns Red and Berzarin Quartet. And what's that? What's that one band you, you mentioned recently on Twitter? I, I started listening to them. I can't remember it. It's hip hop, but it's almost mo it's in instrumental. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know what? I I can't remember the name of it right now, but it's, it's that I good. Will we'll link to it. We'll link to it, it in the show notes. Yeah, it's it's good. It's in, instrumental stuff for studying and heavy metal and Eminem for like working out. Anything to just get the juices flowing, you know. All right. Uh, favorite podcast? Doc and Devo. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We knew you would say that. But then, okay. After that, what are some good podcasts people should be listening to besides okay. Selfwire and Doc I'm, a, I'm currently uh, I'm, I'm I'm currently a zealot right now of of Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, Andrew Clavin, those guys. Uh, uh, anytime um, Jordan Peterson is on the Joe Rogan Experience, 
trying to think of some other podcasts that I really like. Um, so you, so far you've covered politics, uh, sort of philosophy and pot, um, yeah. with Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Oh, no, those are great. I listen to those. Yeah, I listen to those podcasts. Yeah. Uh, the Jocko podcast is of yep. course very amazing. Uh, uh, sometimes he gets into some military history stuff that, uh, I, fi I find very interesting, but probably more interesting for vets. Also Bill Burr, Love Bill, mm -hmm. the Bill Burr podcast. Um, in terms, oh, I, I, in terms of uh, like sort of professional development stuff, I like the Pro Blogger podcast. It's mm -hmm. a it's a really good yep. podcast. And uh, I'm trying to think. That's that's kind of what I'm listening to right now. Yeah. How about you guys? What are some big ones for you? I, I don't, you know I don't listen to a lot of honestly. Podcasts. I only listen. To, I listen to Selfwire. Oh, of uh, course. No, no, for real. I, I don't really <laughs> listen to a lot of podcasts. So I'm just being, I don't listen to Joe Rogan. I do That's Ben it. Shapiro. Yeah. Uh, I do do that one. Um, oh, and Adam Carolla. <laughs> I listen to uh, I listen to a bunch. Um, I listen to a, a lot of true crime stuff at night when I'm going to bed. Mm. Um, and Sasquatch Chronicles. Okay, I listen to Sasquatch Chronicles. I do that. I, I, I like that. But no, um, the, the ones that I, I get excited about are generally the ones that I'm like super regular on. I do listen to Ben Shapiro, um, even when I disagree with him. I, I just really uh, enjoy him. Um, I also like. I, obviously, I listen to Selfwire. I don't listen to a lot of explicitly Christian podcasts. No, uh, right. I just I. I don't find them uh i mean i read theology and christian and uh, life and all kinds of stuff all the time especially the puritans but in terms of podcasts it's it's generally secular um okay what about this uh best mm, let's see uh i didn't write this one down i had rapid fire questions um so shoot i was so, gonna ask uh, about uh, a lot uh, what okay epictetus Oh, yeah. Should people read Epictetus? Yes, Epictetus, Seneca, Marcus Aurelius. These are all these are all pretty good. Uh, uh, sort of self help, motivational. They get from you, from, from when th these are from Stoics, ancient Stoics. These are from like <laughs> these are from like third uh, century BC to second century AD. Uh, all, right. all of these authors, and they're extremely helpful in terms of getting the perspective of you know what I, d I don't have control over a lot in life, and I shouldn't tie my emotions to things that I don't have control over. I should tie my will to the things that I do have control over, and I could I should seek to understand that uh, that over which I have operational control and and seek to to free my emotions from everything so, else. That's, all right, Paul, I got one last question. Yep. You got rapid fire. You ready? Yep. Actually, I, I, know, I know what you're going to ask. I know what you're going to ask. Okay, Paul, Who? your real t-shirt size. <laughs> I, I, depends on the store. Real t-shirt size. I typically go for medium. Typically go for medium. What should you be wearing? What shipping do I wear? No, what should you be wearing? With oh, those giant man pecs. Probably yeah. XXL. <laughs> you know and, how it is. And right, before last we go, one, here last we go. one. Who's, Who's the, podcast the podcast wife? Oh, I... Don't oh, be a guys. coward. Don't, don't be don't a coward. Don't you dare, Listen, Paul. What would Epictetus tell you to say? Oh, I... I, I well, Paul. You, oh my goodness. Be a man. Be a man. I'm willing to see, I'm not afraid to say it because I'm a man. Jimmy's the yeah, podcast Joe wife. Joe is. Jimmy's the podcast Joe. wife. See, we can do Joe. it, but you're not man enough to say it. I'm going to say Joe. That's what oh I'm going to say. Oh my God. I'm gonna oh, you're never coming back on the podcast <laughs> ever. I love you, Paul. So, Paul, where can people find you online, yeah, man? Because people are going to listen. Oh, if you're now listening to selfwire.org, you need bother. to head on over there. The Selfwire phenomenon is fantastic. Uh, uh, not Joe, sorry. Uh, Paul, where can people find you? 
yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's all Paul C. Maxwell is my handle on all those places. And nice uh, middle initial. That's so, right. Yep. So, so it's highfalutin of you. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, <laughs> Why don't you just put Dr. Paul C. Maxwell? <laughs> I probably should. I probably should. Yeah. You know, as the podcast wife now, I feel like, you know, oh, I feel like you so judge good. me quite a bit. You know, so telling me to be in shape and stuff. I'm so as happy, podcast, Paul. I don't know. You uh, just made whatever. my day, brother. Uh, I can't I, you, know, you, oh, you know what I hear? I, you know what? I see a dark night of the soul coming back around for you, Paul. I, yeah. oh, I see don't, coming. Why don't you get that out of him? I think you're right. I think it's coming. Come back up here so we can hang out, man. We miss you. We love you. We miss you, brother. I'm going to be up there mid-December to be on Pastor Pat's podcast. Wait, what? Wait, huh? Wait, I'm sorry. What you, wait, what'd you say? I'm going to be on what? Pastor Pat's podcast to talk about Uncle oh, Why. What? Paul. What? Uh, when did when did Selfware jump the shark? I, I didn't. Oh! Yeah, that, was, <laughs> that was good. High five. Yeah. Seriously, man, we love you. We can't wait good. to see you. You're going to have a great time on 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 uh, Pat's podcast and uh, Matt's podcast. No one podcast. will hear it, but uh, yeah. yeah. No, Pat yeah. will hear it. Oh, Pat will. Yeah, okay. Matt. Oh, yeah. And I'll probably listen to it because you're on it. Yeah, okay. Thanks, guys. Oh, hey, love you. Thanks so much for having me on. For real, though. Wait, wait, wait. Mid-December, what's the date? Uh, text like, me. Text whatever, me. Let's whatever set whatever set, yeah, I'll text you. Whatever the second weekend in December is. Uh, well, you yeah. can follow us uh, online on Instagram and Twitter or... Wait, wait. No. At Doc, at Doc and Devo or on Facebook slash Dr. Devotion. You can head to the website, drdevotion.com. There you can contact us. You can sign up for the email blast or hit up the store, joefostore.com, and grab some gear. Big thanks to Logos. Head on over to logos.com slash doctorate. Use the code DOCKANDEVO8 to save either 10% or 25%. Fresh pod every Monday and Thursday. Blog posts on Wednesdays. Video content when available. Later. Hate you, Paul. No, you don't. <laughs> Hate I love you, Paul. You're the best, Paul. Hate you, bro. Ready? Love you. Guys. Love you. <laughs> Hate you. Love you, bye. Hate you. Love you, bye. Sure. Love, bye. Bye. Nice pass. Bye. Bye. Go. Put bye. your shirt on. Bye. Small shirt. I got one for you. Bye. <laughs>